Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Leading us in prayer. Um, open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the 145th Psalm. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. Underneath one of the chairs in front of you, you should be able to find a paperback Bible. And you can find Psalm 145 on page 302, 302. Psalm 145. <clears throat> I think one thing that we can uh, all agree on is that uh, all of us uh, long for encouragement. We all want to be complimented. <laughs> We all like to be praised. Uh, we all can stand a little more of that, probably, as we're affirmed and encouraged, praised. We, from our you know, parents, teachers, spouses, we find ourselves growing in confidence. We find ourselves uh, in kind of stronger emotional health. You know, getting praise is really a good thing. Uh, but I'm going to turn that on its head this morning and suggest this, that when it comes to your spiritual health, what is perhaps more important than getting praise is giving praise. Giving praise. Are you a person who is quick or slow to give praise where it's due? And I don't mean just giving praise to uh, spouses or children or students. I mean giving praise to the one who deserves it the most. Uh, you probably all know what it's like. When you find something that you know is deserving of praise, you see uh, you know, a great work of art, or you have a wonderful meal, or you see some terrific athletic accomplishment, and you, your heart just overwhelms with this desire to praise, to, to, to speak about how good it is. And in fact, you want to even share that with others, and you want to point others to how good that thing is. There's something in us that just naturally wells up with praise when we see something that's worthy of it. Friends, do you know that there is no one who is more worthy of praise than the King of Heaven, the exalted, almighty, glorious God, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the God who has created all things and lives and exists and runs the universe at this very moment. He is worthy of your praise. Do you praise him? We are going through a sermon series here at New Life called Prayer, Taking Hold of God. We started this last Sunday, and we're going to take seven total Sundays to just see what the scriptures have to say to us about how to pray. And last week, we began with the Lord's Prayer, a very famous prayer, Matthew 6, Jesus' Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. I call that the model prayer. Well, today, we're going to be looking at the prayer of praise and Psalm 145 is exactly that. It's a prayer of praise. The Psalms in the Bible were songs. Psalm songs, I know they sound almost alike, but the Psalms were songs to be sung by the nation of Israel in their worship in the temple. But these songs serve as prayers. They're like a pattern for prayer. If you want to know how to pray, go to the Psalms because the Psalms give us words that can properly be used to pray to God. And in this case this morning, we have this example in Psalm 145 of a great psalm of praise. So I'm going to read this 
out loud before we kind of examine it. So if you're able, please stand. Uh, This is a psalm (coughs) written by the great King David. (coughs) And I'm going to read all 21 verses of this. Psalm 145 says this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your word works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, from reading that psalm, it should be pretty apparent to you that that fits very conveniently in this category of praise. This is a psalm filled with statements of exalted praise and adoration and affirmation of the God who exists. I I might break prayer down into three basic categories. We could think of prayer as outward. Sometimes our prayers are directed toward those around us. Sometimes prayers are inward. That is, we're praying from our spirit. We're praying about our own personal spiritual needs. And other times, prayers are upward. That means they are directed entirely upward to God in heaven. Now, all prayers are upward in the sense that we're talking to God, but the focus of a prayer of praise is particularly upward. This is a prayer that is focused entirely on God and who he is. It's not the only kind of prayer that we pray, but it's an essential kind of prayer to pray. And my guess is that many of us don't always gravitate toward this kind of prayer because we're mostly thinking about praying to God for things we want and the trouble that we find ourselves in. Entirely appropriate to pray that way. 
But your prayer life is going to be impoverished if praise isn't part of your prayer life. If you're not taking time to just fix your mind and heart on all that God is. And that's exactly what David does if you look at the very beginning of this psalm. Look what he says in the first two verses. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Like David is saying, this is what I'm going to do. He sets his mind to this. It's an act of his will. We don't get any indication here that he necessarily felt like doing this. <laughs> David was a human being like you and me. His inward feelings were up and down. He had a hard life. He lost a child. He was chased around and threatened his life by King Saul. He had a hard life. And yet he sets his mind. He says, okay, life is hard. Life is difficult. I might not be feeling so good about it, but here's one thing I'm going to do. Every single day, I'm going to praise God. That's his intent, and that's what you've got to do. You've got to make it a goal, whether you feel like it or not, to praise God. Now, you might ask, well, what is it that makes God worthy of praise? Why should I praise him? And so that's what we're going to talk about here in this sermon. The first reason that you should praise God is because he is great. God is great. Now, that word great, man, overused so much, it hardly means anything. That probably didn't really have the impact on you that I would have liked. God is great. Well, we say lots of things are great. We eat pizza and say it's great, you know. Uh, we see somebody score 50 points in a game. That's great. And it might be great, but the greatness that's being talked about here is on a whole nother level. Um, for instance, in verse 3, uh, David says... Let me just read the whole verse here. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Very clear affirmation of the greatness of God, and his greatness is so great that it is unsearchable. It, it's, it's beyond tracing out. It's more immense and greater than anything you can imagine. God is greater than you can even conceive the greatest thing that you can believe in your mind or imagine, it is a small thing compared to the greatness of who God is. And the psalm just goes on to tell us about exactly what it is that makes God so great. So here's the first thing. God is great because of his actions. He's great because of the things that he has done. Look at verses 4 and 5. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts, your actions. Verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. I will think about, concentrate on, and focus on the things that God has done, his actions. Verse 12 as well. Make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, Actions, works, the deeds of God David is consumed with and wants to bring, not to his attention because he's forgotten them, but just to bring them to God in the knowledge that David is thankful for them and impressed by them. Like what might he be thinking of in terms of God's actions? Well, one thing probably has to do with the fact that God has created the entire universe. How about that for starters? That's a pretty great action, isn't it? 
All the stars, the moon, the planets, the earth, all the sea creatures, the mountains, and the lakes, God has made them all. That is a mighty act, unbelievable, inconceivable mighty act. And so he's worthy of our praise. How about the fact that um, God has parted the Red Sea, do you remember in the book of Exodus, in order to deliver his people from bondage to Egypt? He parts a sea, he splits up the waters so that his people can run across on dry ground. That constitutes a mighty act. That's greatness right there. How about the fact that God has planned all things from the very beginning, all of human history, everything that happens from the start to the end, it's all under the sovereign plan of a great and mighty God. I mean, we're just touching the surface here. We're talking about a truly great being. I mean, there's lots of things we can call great in the world. You know, how about the fact that we put a man on the moon? That's, that's pretty great. We put a man on the moon. I mean, for most of history, people never would have thought that was possible, and we did it. It's a great act. But you know what's greater? The one who put the moon in the sky to begin with. That's the kind of God we're talking about here. This is a great God whose actions are worthy of our praise. But it's not just God's actions, it's God's attributes also. God's attributes, that that is his nature, what God is like, is explained to us in in, in this psalm. So at the end of verse three, again, it says his greatness is unsearchable. Um, Don't misunderstand that. that. That doesn't mean that we can't know anything about what God is like. And some people will conclude that. You know, God is so high and lifted up and mysterious that we can't really know anything about him. Well, that's not what this means. And the reason why I know that is because the whole rest of the psalm goes on to tell us exactly what he's like. I mean, it's pretty clear there's all kinds of descriptions of his attributes. He is glorious, verse 5 says. The glorious splendor of his majesty. How about that for a beautiful phrase? He's, he's beautiful, he's radiant, he's kingly, he's dignified, he's majestic. That's what God is like. Verse 6 speaks of his awesome deeds. The things that he does flows from his awesomeness. The word awesome means you should respond with awe to this one. Your heart should be filled with awe when you think about God and what he is like. He is awesome. Verse 7, we shall sing aloud of your righteousness. God's righteous. He always does things right. He's he's holy. He's pure. He's set apart. There's no inconsistency. He has integrity. He's, He's what we're all longing for and finding one in whom there is nothing wrong to be found. There's no fault in him. He's righteous. He's everlasting. Verse 13. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It goes on forever and ever. It's not going to be toppled. No one's going to attack God and remove him from his throne. Earthly kingdoms fall all the time throughout history, but not the kingdom of God. It's everlasting. And also, verse 13 says, the Lord is faithful in all his words. That is, 
He can be relied upon. He's trustworthy. He's honest. He's not deceiving you. He's faithful. He does what he says he's going to do. He's glorious. He's splendor. He's awesome. He's righteous. He's everlasting. He's faithful. He's great. That's what it means. Great. So friends, when you come to God to, to pray to him, don't come to him thinking, oh, I don't know who this God is. Don't come to him like you're walking through the dark with your eyes closed trying to find your way around. Don't come to God just making things up about what he's like. You don't have to do that. You're told what he's like. And so when you come to God in prayer, you can say these things. You can pray in accordance with how God has been revealed to us. This is the way Tim Keller says it. We should not decide how to pray based on the experiences or feelings we want. Instead, we should do everything possible to behold our God as he is. <laughs> and prayer will follow. And the way God is is revealed to us on the pages of Scripture. Not just here in Psalm 145, but in the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. So God is great because of his actions. He's great in his attributes. But... A third thing to consider is that God is universally adored. And that doesn't make him great. He's adored because he's already great. But these go together. The fact that he's so adored is because he's great and worthy to be adored. So uh, if you look at um, verses 10 and 11, it's talking about um, well, it says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints, that is, that is believers, that's people who believe in the God of the Bible, the saints shall bless you and they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. So all the saints and all the believers have been for centuries in all parts of the earth and all walks of life and all time periods over centuries and centuries and centuries there have been people who have been exclaiming how great God is. In other words, he's the most famous person who ever lived. <laughs> There's nobody more famous than God. It's interesting if you look at verse 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. The passage even says it. God's famous. He's famous. We all kind of get excited when we meet someone famous, right? We get their autograph and we tell our friends, oh, I met this actor, I met this athlete, you know? We want to be in the presence of greatness. But friends, you are in the presence of greatness all the time as a creature of the almighty God. You're in the presence of greatness. Do, do you recognize that? Do you know that? Does it come to mind? Do you meditate on that? Or are you just walking right past the greatness of God in the busyness of your life? There's a guy named Joshua Bell. He's a very famous violinist. And <clears throat> he conducted this experiment where he went into a subway in Washington, D.C. and took with him a violin worth three and a half million dollars. And he stood in this subway, this great violinist with his great violin, and he played music in the subway for 45 minutes. Greatness was there in that Washington, D.C. subway. They estimated about 1,000 people passed by and seven people stopped to pay attention. The other, whatever, 9,000 plus people, or 990, whatever, the 987, would that be right? 1,000, yeah. Um, 
people, no, 993 people. Um, <laughs> not, not so good at math, but um, all just passed by, just walked right past him, just ignored him. They were all in the presence of greatness and didn't recognize it. And I wonder if that describes you. Do you recognize the presence of greatness that is there for us all to behold in the presence of our creator as he has been revealed to us in his word? In your prayers, friends, tell him how great he is. Tell God how great he is. Reflect on his actions as they've been described in the word, his actions in your own life, the things he's done in your life. You know how God has come through for you and helped you. Things have happened that have been just a blessing. Do you tell him that? Lord, thank you so much the way you met my need there. It was a mighty act that you did. Tell him that. Talk about his attributes. God, you're majestic, you're beautiful, you're glorious, you're holy, you're faithful, you're righteous. Expand on those things. That will really enrich your prayer life. Tell God how great he is. But the second thing to consider is that God is good also. God is great. That refers more to God's power, I think we could say, whereas God's goodness refers to his character. Now we're talking about the kind of person God is. You know, if somebody is great, that is that they have a lot of power, but they're not good, that can lead to problems. <laughs> That's where you get tyrants and dictators and people who wreak all sorts of violence and, and havoc. They're great, they have a lot of power, but they're wicked. But see, the God of the Bible is great and good. So verse nine, it says very clearly, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. The Lord is good to all, to everyone. He's not just good to Christians. He's not just good to the nation of Israel. He's good to everyone. He's been good to you. He's been good to everybody in this room. Whether you're a Christian or not, God has been good to you. And the psalm goes through to explain various ways that he has been good, some very simple ways, like, for instance, he provides food for us. Verses 15 and 16. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. That's how God shows forth his goodness. He provides for your needs. He takes care of you. He makes sure that you're fed. Now, there's a lot of you I don't know that well, but I'm quite sure that probably at home you have a refrigerator full of food. And I bet you have a pantry around the corner there that is also full of food. And if you ever run out of food, you can go down to McDonald's or whatever fast food restaurant you need to go to and you can get food there. Food is plentifully available to you and that's not by accident, it's not a random thing, it's because God is good. God's been good to you, he has provided for you not just food, but he's provided for you shelter, he's put clothes on your back. I mean, just think about what's the goodness of God over the last 12 hours. My guess is all of you slept in in peace last night. Now, maybe you didn't sleep quite so well, but sleeping in peace, I mean, you didn't sleep with the, the fear of somebody breaking in and attacking you, or you, you slept peacefully in your bed all night long. And then you drove here in a car, provided to you by the goodness of God, and you got here safely. And there were no problems, I, I think, I'm pretty sure. Maybe there's some exceptions, but here, here you are. 
Um, you walked all in here on two legs. You're all looking at me with eyes that see. You're hearing what I'm saying with ears that hear. All of these are examples of God's goodness to you. He provides all that you need, specifically food for our bodies, described here in verses 15 and 16. But he also helps the lowly. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and he raises up all who are bowed down. In other words, God draws close to the discouraged and the distressed to the depressed, to those in despair, to those who, are, who have no confidence, to those who feel defeated and overwhelmed by the world. God's heart goes out to people like that. That's what makes him good. Wicked people take advantage of the weak and the bowed down. God's heart goes out to the weak. That's why Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. God has a heart for those who have hearts that hurt and ache because he's good. He's good to the weak. He helps the lowly. But then the third thing we see here is that God is good because he judges evil. He judges wickedness. Look at verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Now we should rejoice in this because goodness is not just in upholding what is right. Goodness is opposing what is wrong, right? That's what makes somebody good. That's what makes a judge good. If you had a judge in a court and he just gave a free pass to every criminal that came through his court, wouldn't impose any sentence or any penalties of any sort on anybody who came into his court, would you call that judge good? Part of what makes the judge good is he enforces penalties that are appropriate. He opposes what is wrong. God is the same way. He is against wickedness. And on the final judgment day, he will deal decisively with it. But he's good. And he hates wickedness. And that's part of his goodness. Now, some of you I know might have some trouble really believing that God is good. You you might believe that God exists, but you're not so sure that he's good because of things that have happened to you in your life. Because you've suffered many disappointments, many setbacks, because you've had many losses, and you just don't feel like God is good. Well, here's the practical value of the prayer of praise, and that is when you go to God and focus on his goodness and reflect on his goodness and praise him for his goodness, bringing to mind all the ways that he has been good to you, giving him thanks, your heart will respond in thankful praise. Because here's what we very often do, friends, is we focus so much on our troubles that we lose sight of the good blessings of God. In the same way that you could actually take you know, something as small as a penny and you could put it right up against your eye and block out the sun so that all you could see is the penny. The penny would obscure the brightness and the glory of the sun if the only thing you're focused on is the penny. But there's the sun shining brightly and there's so much to be appreciated about in the sun if we will take our eyes off our problems and look at the way that God has been good. I don't mean to minimize problems in your life that are serious and painful and hard. But nonetheless, even in the midst of your difficulty, 
thank God for his goodness. Look with eyes of faith to the way he's blessed you. Richard Sibb says this, if we love other things for the goodness which we see in them, why do we not love God in whom is all goodness? All other things are but sparks of that fire and drops of that sea. If you see any good in the creature, remember there is much more in the creator. Leave, therefore, the streams and go to the fountainhead of all comfort, the fountainhead of all that is good. In your prayers, praise him for his goodness. Now, the last thing we want to consider <clears throat> that makes God worthy of our praise is that God is gracious. God is gracious. Because, friends, it needs to be acknowledged that it is a serious thing to not give God the praise and thanks that he deserves. I mean, that, that, is, a, that is a sinful thing. And I think you can all kind of identify with this. You probably all know what it's like. Maybe you have gone above and beyond in doing something for somebody. Maybe you just spent a lot of money on somebody. You put a lot of work and sacrifice into doing something for somebody. I mean, you went way above and you put a lot of thought into it. And you just wanted to bless this person. You did all this stuff for them and they said nothing about it. They didn't thank you. They didn't even acknowledge that it happened. And you probably felt a little irritated. I just feel like I should have gotten some thanks for that. You know, something, some kind of word. Imagine God, the God of the universe, with a whole humanity of people who are refusing to acknowledge his greatness and giving him thanks for his goodness. Um, that makes God angry. John, uh, excuse me, Romans 1 says this. Paul's talking about the wrath of God upon humanity, and he says they knew God but here's the problem. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. They didn't give him praise and they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's a serious thing to not give thanks and praise to God, but here's the good news. God is gracious. God is gracious. Look at verse eight. It says it very clearly. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He slowed anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's gracious and he's merciful. That those are two key words for our understanding of the gospel. Gracious and merciful, he's merciful. That means he does not treat you as your sins deserve. He doesn't give you what you should get, which is judgment. But grace is that you do get what you shouldn't get. Mercy is you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is you do get what you don't deserve. In grace, God says, I'm giving you my love, I'm giving you my righteousness, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit, I'm giving you the promise of eternal life. It's not just that I'm not going to treat you as your sins deserve, I'm going to heap upon you lavish spiritual blessings. That's what it is for God to be gracious, and it all flows from the steadfast love of God that it says at the end of verse 8, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. His steadfast love is what causes him to want to be gracious and merciful to sinners. Now, this psalm was written long before the coming of Jesus Christ, centuries before. But when Jesus comes on the scene, we understand that he is the fulfillment of this psalm, and he is the fulfillment of verse 8 in particular. It's God in his steadfast love sent his son Jesus into the world. 
to account for our sins. And so here's what it says in Romans. God shows his steadfast love, we might say, for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were not giving him thanks, while we were not acknowledging his goodness, while we were not praising him, Christ died for us. At that moment, in our negligence and rebellion, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his obedient life, the, the, the death on the cross that he endured, shedding his blood for sinners, his resurrection from the dead, the offer is that anyone who believes in him can receive mercy and grace from God and not judgment. Now you might say, well, how does that work? How do I do that? How do I get that? Well, the psalm even tells us, verses 18 and 19, here's how you get that. Look, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Here's how you get the mercy and grace of God. You call out to him. You call on him for mercy. You say, Lord, I haven't praised you as I should. I haven't thanked you as I should. I know I deserve your judgment, but I also know what your word says. That is that Jesus came and died for me. And I believe that. And I put my hope in him and I ask you, forgive me. Forgive me for my sins and help me now to live for you. The promise right here is that whoever calls out to God in that way, God will save you. He hears their cry and he saves them. If you want to be saved, that's, that's what you do. You turn from your sin, you put your hope and trust in Jesus for your salvation. That's what it is to call on him, it's a prayer. And this is where our prayer lives should begin as Christians, calling on God for forgiveness and trusting in what Jesus has done for our salvation. If you're not a Christian, that's what I exhort you to do. If you are a Christian, let me just encourage you to allow this psalm to enrich your prayer life. As you pray this week, open up your Bible, lay out Psalm 145 in front of you and get on your knees and pray through this psalm. And give him praise for his greatness. Give him praise for all of his goodness. Give him praise for all of his grace to you in the gospel. Do that, and again, watch your heart get filled with joy and excitement as you reflect on the one who is truly, truly worthy of all of our praise and adoration. Uh, every sermon in this series, we're going to conclude by just reciting the Lord's Prayer together. That's the prayer that we covered last week. You can go online and hear that sermon if you're interested, so let's stand and recite the Lord's Prayer together. And musicians, you can come forward. There we go. Okay. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. But you guys remain standing as we conclude our service this morning.